morning. What? Good morning. Oh, good morning. All right. <laughs> One out of every four women suffers behind closed doors. Many are fearful, concealing their pain. They are victims of abuse. October is a month of awareness for domestic violence. Each Sunday at Hope, we'll be lighting these three candles as a reminder of women suffering in silence. And as a church, we acknowledge the reality of brokenness and sin in the world, as well as our call to love and the power of community that can heal this brokenness through Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me while I, right before I light these candles? Lord, we are the church. We offer ourselves to you. O oh God, our creator, we offer our hands. And may we use them to extend a healing touch to comfort sisters and brothers and children and youth and elderly who are afraid. We offer our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear the signs and stories of violence so that all may have someone with, with them in their pain and confusion. We offer our hearts and our tears. And may the hurt and sorrow of the abused echo within us. We offer our own stories of violence, that may we be healed as we embrace each other. We offer our anger and make it a passion for justice. We offer all our skills, use all our gifts, so that we may end violence. We offer our faith, our hope, our love, that we may encounter and as we encounter with violence, it brings us closer to you and to each other, Lord. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, who knows the pain of violence. Amen. Good morning. I'd like to thank our church for this opportunity to speak today about an issue that's near and dear to my heart. October is the month that our country has designated as Domestic Violence Month. As many of you may know or you may not know, I um, am the director for the denomination's Advocacy for Victims of Abuse Ministry. So we call it AVA. Currently, we have about 75 regional and local AVA coordinators in the United States, in Canada, Mexico, Ecuador, and Colombia. And even recently, I was asked um, by the Sullens to talk to the people on the Navajo Nation, those pastors that met. And unfortunately, the demand for this type of ministry is greater than the resources. So it's an honor for me to be speaking to you today, and as you might su suspect, my sermon will come through the lens of the work I do. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just ask that as I attempt to talk from your word, that you would that you would just anoint this time together 
I know for many this is, feels strange to have this topic raised during service, but Lord, you are so compassionate. You care about all of our needs. I just ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will reside here, be here, minister to our hearts, and speak through me as a vessel. It is in your name I pray. Amen. I come from a family with five children, um, who, by the way, were all born in the month of December. Yes, that's no, sad. And ironically, our birthdays are in descending order of our birth. How about that? My mom and my dad both worked outside the home to make ends meet, and they had very little expendable income. And given that all of our birthdays were in December, we didn't usually have birthday cakes, and our birthday gift tended to be one of our Christmas presents given early. My mom used to say that she was robbing Peter to pay Paul. I can only remember two birthday celebrations. I'm sure I had mo more than that, or at least I hope I had more than that, but I can only remember two birthdays um, celebrations and one in particular was a very special one for me. My aunt, her name was Nanny. She had a birthday cake made for all of us kids for our birthdays. It was designed like a wedding cake. So it had five layers or five tiers. And the layers were tied to our ages. So, of course, Mine was the biggest, it was the bottom, because I was the oldest. But it was one of them, I'm as old as I am, oh, it's this thing, it's in my peripheral vision. I keep thinking I have spots over here. Okay, it was one of the most memorable birthdays I had as a child because I got a cake. Even though there were four on top of them, those weren't mine, the bottom one was. And what it really was about was that I was being acknowledged. It was probably a small thing to other people, but I remember it today as one of the sweetest birthdays because I was being recognized as special. And then growing up, my maternal grandmother lived with us and she is the one who faithfully took me to church, and it was because of her that I gave my life to Christ at an early age. And um, as a young teen, a rite of passage back in those days, as you can tell, I'm not 20 years old. Um, in those days, a rite of passage was for a girl was to be able to finally wear stockings. Y'all don't know what those are. It's... <laughs> Back then, that was a big deal. Get the package out in those silky stockings. If you look at some of those old movies, the silky stockings, and you'd be able to put them on your legs. But this meant that I was now a teenager. That was the new spot that was in my life. And um, 
even though I was a pretty obedient child, um, I had done something that angered my mother, and her punishment was to take my stockings away from me and make me go back to wearing bobby socks in church. That was so humiliating. It was the worst thing that I could imagine. And I can remember this one Sunday morning as my grandmother and I started out for church because we would go and catch the bus to go to church. After we got a ways away from the house, she stopped, opened up her purse. Back in those days, they were called pocketbooks. She opened up her purse and out came stockings and my flats. And she told me to change and put my stockings on before we went to the bus to go to church. I'll never forget that. It was such um, a beautiful thing. And it was a secret that we kept between us um, until my mom changed her mind and finally let me go back to wearing my stockings. Today, I've entitled my sermon, The Gift of Compassion. And I suspect some of you might not be in favor of what my grandmother did for me, but for me, it marked something special that she saw me. She saw me and she reacted out of compassion. She knew that I was humiliated wearing those socks to church and that compassion was a sympathetic consciousness of my distress and she desired to alleviate it so she gave me that gift that morning. That's one way of paying attention or giving the gift of compassion. Another way to think about this is to pay attention to people's suffering or their pain. It can be physical, it can be psychological, and having that deep, deep desire to not only enter into it, but also to help that individual and help them alleviate or significantly diminish some of that pain. Now, I recognize that these examples are from my childhood, but not having an individual birthday cake or the humiliation of losing my ride of passage meant something to me. And having someone place herself in my situation made a significant impression and impact on me. Thus, it's an example of my belief that only God can measure pain. Sometimes we look at things from the outside, but it's truly God that knows the pain that individuals have. Now, I recognize that you all don't speak back in church because I'm here every Sunday, basically. But in the black church, they do make some noise. <laughs> Don't make me feel like I'm in an echo chamber this morning. They use words like amen or preach it, preacher or something, whatever. Anyway, so I have a passage of scripture this morning that I just wanted to talk about a bit. It's in Luke. It's the 10th chapter, 
the 25th through the 37th verse. It's a familiar passage of scripture, but this passage is an interchange or a dialogue that's happening with this lawyer who comes to Jesus and he asks him some questions. And when Jesus is finished, he shows how three different men respond to a man who has become a victim in great pain and needing help. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the passage in your Bibles. It's in Luke 10, the 10th chapter, the 25th verse. And I thought I had a marker in here, but okay. And it's a familiar, familiar passage of Scripture. It's a, the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you have read that? Great. Whatever. Okay. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, doesn't that tell you a little bit about him? He's got what? An ulterior motive that he's got here. So he's testing him. Teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he's an expert in the law. And Many commentaries say Jesus is already preaching there in the temple, and this guy stands up. He says, so Jesus says, what, what is written in the law? And, he re, and then he replied, and how, how do you read it? And I can imagine this guy, he's, he's learned, and he's educated, and he kind of maybe stands a little more erect, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That's a really important little interchange there. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The guy should have stopped there and let it go, but he didn't. So he says, but, but he, the, the, the writer, Luke says, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And imply Jesus, in reply, Jesus says, okay, I'll give you an example. A man has, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of when he fell into the hands of robbers they stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away leaving him half dead a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man he passed by on the other side so too a levite when he came to the place and saw him passed by the other side but a samaritan as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, 
I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert, notice, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I like Luke's writings and the details he puts in there to help stimulate our imaginations. He describes for us a scene where Jesus is encountering this lawyer, this person who has knowledge basically of the first five books of the Old Testament that was really important to the Jewish people. And he wants to test Jesus by asking this question that many ponder today. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Or in my culture, it was what must I do to be saved? He seems to have this hidden motive for asking this question because Luke says he wanted to justify himself. And then Jesus says, let's look at this parable that I have for you. This story that Jesus is telling them, telling this man is a story that takes place on a road that leads from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a steep road. In fact, it descended down more than 3,000 feet. If you compared it to the rim of the bottom of the canyon here in Arizona, the, the Grand Canyon, that's 5,000 feet. How many of you have looked over the rim of the Grand Canyon here? You can hardly see anything down there. It's, and if you've tried descending down there, you know how difficult it is. I only got so far. I was like, I ain't going there. Um, it just is, uh, it's kind of really can be, think about it. We've got it paved for people to, to a certain degree graded and so forth that people can go down but what we don't know is whether that road was like that that they were descending but it was a place where robberies took place just like stuff that I think about with the wild west whoever ambushed this man had left him naked beaten and robbed in other words he was half dead there are three men that are going down that same way and they come upon the man who is there lying to die. It's three guys. All of them are going down that same road. And they all come upon that man that's half dead. And their responses are not all the same. The priest has temple duties. And, and to be a Jewish priest to go in and to offer sacrifices for the sins of the Jewish people, he had to be clean. Not only thinking about his heart, but his body, his clothes. He couldn't have touched anything that was defiled, anything that was dead. Oh, no, no, no. He would not be able to do his priestly duties. 
And the Levite was the same in a way because he assisted the priests. So they were so concerned about their priestly duties, and I'm not faulting them, I'm just pointing that out, that they didn't even want to go over to the guy, so they kind of go back and go on another road to avoid him, to stay out, because perhaps their robes might, you know, accidentally touch him. And if that happened, they would be ceremonially unclean. So they're fixated on doing what they have to do. They want to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And that's not to put them down. It's just the life that they lived. But here comes this other guy, which I call him an other, because he's not of the Jewish sect. He's the other. He's a Samaritan, which is a group of people that the Jews historically despised, and they had grievance with them, and they kept them, that kept them from dealing with each other. They had what I call old grudges. And all three men saw the beaten man, but their reactions and their actions were tied to who they were. I've gone ahead of myself so I can move on. And Pastor Ryan will be happy, happy, happy. This guy, this Samaritan, he's not in their Jewish circle, and he goes to the injured man. So he doesn't have the same, the same rigidity. He's not so worried about being defiled. He goes over, he sees the man, and what does he do? He puts this antiseptic on his wounds, he puts the oil in to ease the pain, and he gives up his own ride and puts the Samaritan on this whatever vehicle he was using. He walks alongside him, takes him to an inn. Remember, they're walking, so I don't know how far he had to go. Takes him to this inn, pulls out this money and promises that if you'll take care of him, I've got to continue on in my journey. Now, he didn't stay there. That's not what the scripture says. He did what he could. He put him there, promised he would pay for any other things that would be due for his care. All of them had the same opportunity to help the dying man, but only one did. I admit that I have been all three characters in this story at different times in my life. Sometimes I've been terribly ashamed for my behavior. I wish I could have been compassionate, but I confess I have not been. I remembered I worked for the University of California, had a big, huge benefits fair going on, and I don't know, it was one of those days I, I was being not bothered by people. I was like, this is a lot I was dealing with. Some woman came up with, with to me and um, was had grievances or something. I can't even remember. And all I did was I turned to one of my staff and said, you handle her, and I walked off. And she never, my, my staff member knew it was so out of character for me. And she just gave me a hard time about it. So I just show you, I am nobody who's perfect. Um, and 
Uh, sometimes I've done it as deliberately as I did, and on that occasion, and sometimes it's been unconscious. It doesn't excuse what I did, and I'm not proud of it, but there have been times in my life also where I have been able to be compassionate. And when I've done it, I've felt a sense of joy, relief, and gratitude for being able to help those recipients. I've called attention to these men today to demonstrate what can happen when someone who is in desperate need meets up with someone who's compassionate. Because that's how Jesus treats desperate people with compassion. He really sees their condition, and he does so without condemnation and moves towards them versus away from them. So why, why am I even talking about this today? Because I'm a survivor of childhood sexual assault for about 11 years. And I know what it is like to live with a secret of violence for years. Because of the Christian mother who lives in another state who recently came across my name on the internet is another reason why. She called me a stranger. I'm a stranger. I, if you put that woman in front of me today, I wouldn't know who she is. Here's a stranger calling me because she found my name on the internet to talk to me about her daughter's abuse from her son-in-law. The fear she expressed about how her church community might treat them once the news spread was almost palpable. As a Christian family, um, she was asking, you know, how are they going to deal with this fact that their daughter has had to get a restraining order on her son-in-law and move into an undisclosed location? I've talked to mothers, friends, etc., who can't believe that their daughters or their sons or their friends have been victims of physical, emotional, sexual, or spiritual abuse. I've come in contact with people who do not believe that this is a problem in our houses of faith and feel it does not happen in Christian families. Or going to the Navajo Nation and hearing story after story from women coming up to me and a man talked about his violence. They talked about their stories that were egregious. They were horrible. And yet, they're Christians. So actually, I'd rather be preaching another sermon today. But this is part of my calling, breaking the silence about the crisis that's in our midst and challenging you to be willing to give someone who suffers in this way the gift of compassion. For a survivor like me, having someone affirm you or pray for you or even walk with you through your memories and breaking silence is truly a huge gift of compassion. It's a gift. For someone to be fully present, to be able to see you to not have to try to make you stop your tears, but just be able to be what I call a container for that pain 
That's not like take it on. It's just to be there, to be fully present. That's a gift. We need to own that this blight exists in our Christian community. And like Jesus, we must confront it head on. Remember, Jesus was never afraid to confront nor question beliefs or stereotypes. So in reviewing the scriptures, I have found these principles that should guide our responses. And I think we have something in your notes, which you probably have not even thought about. But um, that compassion is an attribute of God. Every time you show compassion, did you know that you're behaving like God? When's the last time you showed compassion? Today, yesterday, who's shown some compassion this past week? Let me see your hands. Look at all of you. You have shown what? An attribute of God. And then we're called to serve those who are marginalized. The kingdom of God welcomes and includes those who are abused, they're poor or imprisoned, broken and lost people. That's part of our mission. We have a mission statement for our church. Part of it is to serve those who are marginalized. That is part of who we are. That's what marks us as the church of what? Hope. Right? The word hope on our, on our sign out there, we have hope covenant church out there underneath we have this other piece that says it welcomes people what 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 kind of people if you're not perfect what this isn't going to be the church for you in other words we welcome brokenness we have compassion compassion requires more than acknowledgement though it is to join and suffer with others who are in pain so we are called to serve one another, to spread that kind of compassion in our communities where there is need, to actually press against the establishment and the naysayers, to help give voice to those who are marginalized. It grieves me the things that I hear sometimes in our public um, commentaries and so forth that it's like, it's like mean-spirited. It is like, do we not recognize that the words we pour out and throw out cause people pain and angst? We should be uh, the voice to give people dignity and to share in their suffering, not wipe it in their faces, with an eye on helping everyone who crosses our path. Now, that requires diligence and commitment. But we have to do that. We've been called to be the followers of Christ. We are not following anyone else. Of course, we have teachers and leaders and so forth. But in the end, our example is Jesus Christ and the way he lived his life. That's the example. And we often sing those songs that say we're vessels, we're instruments of Christ. We read scriptures and we pray those prayers and we respond saying, use me, Lord. 
But I wonder if we would be part of the few who answer the call, really answer it. Because being compassionate is not for the faint of heart. Paul wrote about it and said, you know, that we had to have our loins girt about with the truth, having the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of truth on us. And praying for the gift of compassion to address the pain that resides right here, even in our midst. I'd like to just reread the beginning of that portion of scripture that I had out, where the man asked Jesus the question, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, gives him these two questions. What is written in the law? And then he said, how do you read it? I see that as sometimes we read the word, but we don't let it really adjust our worldview and how we live our lives. When he said that, how do you read it? He was challenging him to see something bigger than what he was actually quoting. So I challenge you today to work with our Ava team that we have here in the church to help shed the light on the issues of violence that affects our community, both within this church, these church walls, and I hope it's not a lot, but I'm sure there's some, because violence can be defined in many ways and outside the church walls. My dream is that our church would become an even safer sanctuary for anyone who may need to break silence. And that our church community, that means every single one of us here today, that all of us are a safe community for anyone who comes into this place to know that we will serve them, we will pray for them, and we will reach out as one with the gift of compassion and love. Again, what is written in the law and how do you see it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. I just pray, Lord, that you will cause our hearts to draw closer to you, open our eyes, open our hearts, that we may be the vessels that you use to minister to, give hope to, provide compassion for those who are hurting in and out of our midst. It is in Christ's name I pray, amen.